Hello and welcome to Here in L.A., Los Feliz edition. Today we chat with Lena Lacaro, someone whose name you've probably read millions of times in the L.A. Weekly because she's been there for a very, very long time. Lena was an influencer before the word existed, and she would go out into the streets of L.A., to the clubs, to the concerts, to the raves and the parties, and write about them every week. Today, we talk about how Melrose has changed, what Los Feliz used to be like, and how her daughter is growing up in the same neighborhood Lena once roamed as a teen. So join us as we rock out with Lena Lacaro. Hey everybody, I am here in Hollywood with Lena Lacaro. Is that how you pronounce it? That's correct. Lena, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Tony. Um, you're born and raised in LA? Yes, um, born in East LA, actually. At, just like Cheech, <laughs> I love to say that. Where? Uh, LA County General. Mm-hmm. And my family, my parents met in the Cypress Park area of L.A. So my baby years were spent in East L.A. Um, and then I moved to Glendale for a little while and went to school in that system until fifth grade. Then I moved to Atwater. Um, actually, a part of Atwater uh, that's now getting gentrified, but was pretty much, you know, the barrio. Uh, it was called Toonerville, actually. Do you was, know the area? No. I, I mean, I lived in Atwater. Okay, so Atwater, the Atwater you probably know is, you know, down there. Um, Glendale Boulevard. Yeah, exactly. And we lived on Glenhurst. Okay. So as soon as you pass the gas station, you turn right. Yeah. But, Do you know where the Tamashanter in? Yes. And the big Costco and all that across yeah, yeah. the street and the Sizzler? So the main big street right there at the car wash is called Brunswick. If you go down Brunswick and head towards, uh, I guess you would call that northeast, uh, there is an area there that, uh, again, actually named called Toonerville and so I grew up in Toonerville and uh yeah it was it was not a, I just drove by there recently and it's very gentrified now but back then it was like a lot of gang activity a lot of graffiti uh, Latino neighborhood but but what I think is so interesting to talk to people um because you're about my age yes you're younger I'm a little younger and, and cuter <laughs> thank um, you is the kids today yeah when you say Silver Lake used to have gangs, when you say Echo Park used to have gangs, yeah. and now Atwater Village had gangs. Oh, absolutely. Nobody can believe it when you look at it. Yeah, and the rents, I mean, come on now. Right. It's it's it, it's mind-blowing to see that change, absolutely. Um, and it's funny because my parents were looking to move soon. They're back in Glendale, and we looked in the areas that were the low rent, and they can't even afford to live yeah. in the area where which were literally dangerous when I lived there. But my story is really an L.A. story, 100%. A Los Feliz story, a Silver Lake story, an East L.A. story, and a Hollywood story. Because uh, when I was able to move out, my fr I always wanted to live on Beachwood Drive. <laughs> because I had a teacher that lived there, the journalism teacher at Marshall. I was the editor of the school paper at Marshall and had a great relationship with that teacher. And sure enough, I found an apartment, three girls, one girl slept in the living room, Beachwood Drive at the stop sign. The view of Hollywood sign with the every framed day, by the palm trees. Every day you come home, you see that sign. All, all my 20s, that was where I lived, and I loved it. Loved it. Also, you were close to Hollywood. Absolutely. So, okay. So yeah. let's let's jump over to let's jump over to the weekly. Yeah. But um, was Lottie Dot your column from beginning to end? No, not at all. Whose was it before? Pleasant Gaiman, who oh. I now do uh, DJ her burlesque night, her witch themed burlesque night. 
velvet and candle. So Pleasant, I'll tell you this, Pleasant to me was like my idol as a kid because she created La Di Da, the column, and I read it religiously. Yeah, let's explain, right? La Di Da was a column that if you ever wanted FOMO, this was the FOMO. Oh, yeah. Because you would go party. This was this was my uh, imagination of it. Okay. You'd party all weekend. Yeah. With the coolest people. Yeah. At the coolest clubs. You're probably dressed fabulously. And gay, straight, doesn't matter. Everything. Of, of course Jane's Everything. addiction is just like... Yeah. You know, you you are living the L.A. club kid, but also rock kid life. Absolutely. So just to be And clear, then you write it down. Then you write it down in the weekly. How much of that is true? Okay. <laughs> That's great. Just to be clear, it started well before my time. Right. Pleasant uh, wrote it. And I would read it. And, and for me, as just a kid, I would read this. I would always get the L.A. Weekly, the L.A. Reader, BAM, the New Art Supplement. I mean, just anything that was free. <laughs> I would get it and read it back to back. As uh, since I was like a, a preteen, honestly. And I'm, I also, I grew up in a very protected because I lived in bad areas and my parents are Latino and I couldn't do anything. So for me, reading the LA Weekly specifically, but the reader, bam, all of them was my window to, oh my God, when I get old enough, I am going to be out there and I'm going to do it all. So for me, Pleasant Gaiman, who started this column and is a legend, I mean, just Google her guys. I mean, she is a legend, started the column and, and the beauty of it was it was written in this snarky, sassy way and it was very insider and it was punk rock, but... But they treated punk rock people like they were movie stars. So the, everybody's name would be bolded. I love that. Yeah. And it was just so cool. And and so what happened was, just to kind of flash forward a little, um, I always read LA Weekly and I was getting into journalism. I was on the school paper at my junior high at Marshall. I was the editor-in-chief of the Blue Tide newspaper. And I really was like, I think I want to go this route and be a journalist. And of course, I wanted to do that. I mean, yeah, my dream was to work at LA Weekly. Mm -hmm. So when I finally saw um, an ad for interns... By the way, by that time, I lived up the street because the offices were Hyperion. I lived on Hyperion. And I was working up the street in Sunset at EK. And I was like, this is perfect. I walked in. I showed them, you know, and I became an intern at LA Weekly. Uh, and at this time, by the way, other little side note, I was really into fashion. And I thought, maybe I'll get into fashion and copywriting and marketing. So um, I applied for FIDM. For, I got a full scholarship for FIDM, FIDM, because I was so low income. Uh, at the last minute, I decided, I don't want to, I, I don't think I want to do this. I think I want to be a music journalist. So I just like didn't go to fit them. Uh, I went to LACC. So I went to LA City College for like six years. And at the same time, we started my internship at LA Weekly. So then I was in, you know, I was like in this group working at this cool store, meeting creative people that were doing music and art. And then I was at the weekly. So what was really cool was uh, interns at LA Weekly back in those days, we were the fact checkers. So there would be an editor that would highlight anything factual and then we'd have to get on the phone and we had to call these people and check and make sure things were true. And that, you know, takes some nuance too because somebody would be like, oh no, I didn't say that even if they said it, right? <laughs> but I had a real knack for doing the la-di-da column specifically because I knew people already. So then they go, you'll just be the la-di-da girl that checks. And so every week I did that. But by this time it was a new writer. Her name was Belissa Cohen. Geez, she started taking me to every like all the cool shows. I met all these people, and it was amazing. It was the dream. And by this time, I'm you know I'm barely 21, maybe. You know. <laughs> Did that matter at these clubs? Uh, some of them at Scream. When I saw Jane's Addiction, I had a fake ID, and it was like a check cashing ID. Nobody gave a crap, you know. Did you get it at Alvarado uh, Boulevard? <laughs> I think so. I think so. You knew, yeah. It, I mean, sometimes stereotypes are true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent.
so yeah, so I was working with Belissa for many for a few years there um, as her assistant. She was taking me places, and then uh, I, and I wrote about this. The, the moment I knew, like, oh, this is it. Like, no turning back. That's what I'm gonna do. Is she took me to the very first Lollapalooza, and I got. I remember going backstage and meeting Henry Rollins, Body Count, Susie, who I was always been a Susie and the Banshees fan. Nails in the pit. We ate back in those days. Journalists were treated really well. Like we got to eat with them. This was as at, at, at <laughs> Irvine Meadows. Irvine Meadows. Yeah. And the funny thing is that I wanted to go to that concert anyway, so I had bought a ticket for the second day, and I was in the lawn seats. So it was this feast or famine of okay, this is part of why I want to do this because yeah. I want to be near these creative genius people. I want to tell you how long have I really been a part of LA Weekly in some capacity. Yeah. But I have a mug that was given to me as an intern at LA Weekly that says 1993, happy 15th anniversary. So that tells you something. But I think I had been there already a year prior. My very first um, story there. Do you want to hear my Yes, okay. of course. So, okay. So I became an intern there. I'm going to LACC. I'm on their school paper. I'm deciding this is what I want to do. Um, and I'm interning for Belissa Cohen for, you know, la di da and also working directly with John Payne, the music editor, every week because I, I, he was the editor for all of that kind of content. So I would be making all these calls, fact-checking, helping with headlines, which was great training. Um, and then I completed LACC and then I transferred to Cal State Northridge. That's where I got my BA, CSUN. In journalism. In journalism. Great journalism yeah. school. Yeah, great journalism school. I had, I was already, that was my track. As soon as the FITM thing fell through, I'm like, okay, LACC, then CSUN. So I had a, you know, I had a plan. Um, and then, you know, finally I'm like, I wanted to start really writing for the weekly though. So uh, the first thing I started doing, and this is kind of funny because nowadays people talk about, oh, sponsored content. Well, I wrote sponsored content for the weekly in 92. Okay, because Do you remember we, for who? Yeah, oh, I know. I'll tell you exactly what it was. My first story I ever did. No, for the weekly. Yeah. No, what it was was we used to have these pullouts. The weekly was fat. You remember how fat it was? Yes. Part of why it was so fat was we would often have supplements that were advertising supplements, which the, the marketing department would call, like, well, let's do West Hollywood. And they'd get ads from every store in West Hollywood. Then they'd have a, a marketing writer, not a journalist, write little graphs about each store. But then they would provide real editorial content as well stick it in there. So um, I started as an intern, we would work on those supplement pullout editions. Uh, and the first one where I got my first big real editorial, mind you, not marketing little blurbs, was uh, we did a Melrose supplement. I still have it. It's yellow, still have it. And I wrote a story about the coolest stores on Melrose, which of course I'd been go shopping on Melrose as a teenager. I interviewed all the people at So Plant Retail Slut, which I just wrote about recently, so it was full circle there. Uh, I later ended up working on Melrose, not at that time. Uh, so, because again, you know, I was trying to like pay my bills and I was working many, many places and the interne internship at the weekly did not pay, by the way, they didn't have to pay you back then, but I did get credit uh, at college. So uh, yeah, my first story for the weekly ever that was a real big piece that was actual editorial was called the Melrose Gang. And I interviewed all the 
weirdos of Melrose. And I'm still friends with some of those people that I did then. Isn't is I mean, with all the changes of L.A., aren't you happy that Melrose is still pretty much the same? Well, I don't think it is the same. I think it's sad now. Oh, you, when, I do. you, when you go down Melrose, you feel sad. Oh, I don't think it's the same at all. You don't think that the kids that go to Fairfax are happy to have that uh, in their backyard? I think there's shades of, okay, I think there are shades of, of, of you know, creativity and expression. And I think like the t-shirt, cult, I'm, I'm sorry, the sneaker culture is a pretty cool new thing. But the punk rock spirit is not there other than, and I try to give them spotlight a lot even now, like Headline Records. Uh, I've written about them even kind of recently. There's a few key stores. I worked at a store called Necromance that sold all dead stuff. She closed up last year. Uh, I worked for a clothing designer who made clothes for like all these rock stars. She's gone. Um, so no, I don't think as somebody who actually worked there, so plant long gone, they're now in Los Feliz. Um, so no, and there's a lot of little stores that look like Santee Alley to me in downtown, honestly. That's not good. No, that's not good. I that's love not, San, I love Santa. Oh, I love it for a deal, but I don't. But that's not mom and pop, right? You know, uh, creative stores. That you know what I mean. That's just like mass marketed uh, knockoffs. This is why I'm so happy to be talking to you. Thank you. When I talked to the woman from Code Pink, which you know are are, are liberals, she's so liberal that she's like. I don't even want to talk about the Republicans. I have issues with with Obama. I have issues with Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> and you're the same way. You're like, Melrose is not punk rock enough. Not anymore. It's I mean, not... I think you could ask any of the people that we've talked about that influenced us. They would say the same. I mean, it's still, it's still fun. You know, whatever. But it's like Urban Outfitters. And, oh, I do like um, Wasteland. I like yep. Wasteland, although they would... No, I actually don't like Wasteland anymore because the people that are buying there now, like, don't know true good vintage. Remember, I'm really into fashion, so right. uh, they rejected some cool stuff the last time I tried to sell there. But but, but so. isn't this because the kids today, quote yes, unquote, kids today <laughs> aren't punk rock? Yeah, you know exactly. They're not, and so we couldn't have a Aaron's Records there. Yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't do well. Headline Records is surviving, and that's and, great. And, and maybe the closest that they have. I mean, I hate to say it, but. Supreme kind of feels well, that's like what I was gonna say. it kind of feels like that's what today is. And so maybe because maybe that's showing my age that I don't uh, think that that's as cool as, you know, what we grew up with. Well, you're right, first of all. Well, that's that's what and, we think. And show that age. But my daughter's generation might think differently, and that's where I'm not cool anymore. Because what I thought was cool is not what is cool. But I'm trying, you know. And with what I do now with the weekly, I'm like we were talking about before, um, I'm trying to like write for the people like us that have the references and the perspective. Mm -hmm. But I've you, you got to to survive. You've also got to open your mind to what is the now too. And I'm I'm trying to do that. So my, my story with the weekly, though, is that uh, I did the fact checking for La Dida. Then Belissa Cohen, who wrote La Dida, decided she was over it and she just abruptly quit. Well, it's hard to party every weekend, right? Right, right, right. And and uh, <laughs> I keep interrupting you. Yeah, I'm, okay. and I'm sorry about this. No, please do. But I would feel like the pressure. First of all, if I'm just this hot Latina, like looking goth, <laughs> looking cute. Right. Yeah. Well, Belissa Cohen was not. Latina. But no, I'm we're talking, talking about, about you. Oh, we're talking about me. Okay. I was just her young little assistant. Even even worse. Oh, okay. Because if I am an up-and-coming band, 
Oh, okay. Who will never get in that column? I'm all up in your business. Oh yeah. Is that uh, is that the case? Nah, I mean maybe a little, maybe a little. And then people I are don't mad remember. if you didn't like. I thought we were friends. Right. How come right. I'm not ever well, in your column? Well, when I thought I had my column. Okay, so just to be clear, like Melissa Cohn was the star of this column for many many years. Um, and actually, what happened was she used to be really mean spirited, and people love reading that. I, if you read my stuff, I, I very rarely get snarky, but she was and she was good at it. That's the thing. If you're gonna be snarky, be good at it, right? right. Melissa was. Great. And she would talk major trash about people. And she one time she pissed off Courtney Love. This is a famous story. Which is easy you, to do. Yeah, but you know what happened? It was in all the news. Uh, Courtney socked her in the face. <laughs> and Melissa uh, sued her because Melissa's parents were lawyers and really tight with Gloria Allred. So Melissa got Gloria, Gloria Allred to, to, um, to represent her against Courtney Love. And I interviewed Courtney like five years ago and I asked her about that. And she was just like, oh, she talked the shit. It was great. But Courtney must have loved that. She loves all that drama. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Back then. Yeah. This is post. I think this was post Kurt passing. I can't even remember now. Right. But my story is that when Melissa left, um, I wasn't ready to take on that column. And so that column kind of they, they tried a few different writers and then it just kind of died. But what I was ready to do and what I did for many years, even while I was going to CSUN, was um, she also maintained all the club listings in the calendar section. Yes. Now, uh, when I say club, I mean dance clubs, DJs, anything that's not live music. Live mm -hmm. music was Johnny Whiteside. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he did the, the, the music listings for years. Uh, so there was the music listings, which... And, you know, and this is the thing I got to say about the L.A. Weekly is that the reason that it was the Bible and why people picked it up. And this is what we all said in, our, in the calendar department was us in the calendar department. People would read the other stuff. And there was, of course, award winning, amazing journalism in there. But the, the day to day, the weekly pickup, I got to get my weekly was to see who's playing where, what movies where, you know, and that kind of thing. And then, yes, there was also a section called Pick of the Week. Yep. It used to be called Scoring the Clubs. And yes. we, would, we would pick out our favorite shows. Yep. And I started writing little blurbs for that now and again. Um, and I did that kind of regularly. And then I pitched to Sharon Bell, who was the calendar editor at the time. Let's do a pick of the week just for DJs and clubs. Because I really saw that the whole DJ culture was emerging. And so then I started doing that. And then I had a very long rivalry with Dennis Romero because at this time, New Times is coming up. Oh. And he's like, oh, you're writing about similar stuff to me, but we're friends now. But we had a, a friendly rivalry for many years. He, he, he was a kid. No, he knows his shit about DJ culture. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah. but he thought because the New Times covered it, the Weekly couldn't? I don't know what he thought. But I also was doing stuff for the Times and he... I don't, I don't know, but listen, this is all like, again, this is very, we've talked about it many times since and yeah. we're cool. And yeah, there was a rivalry between us. So that's kind of funny, right? Well, there should have been. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause pay, there was, we were the two weekly papers. Right. Yeah. And so, by the way, isn't that the way it ought to be? Isn't the problem with the LA times that there isn't another LA times? Yeah. Agreed. Absolutely. hundred percent agree. Um, but this kind of gets to my story of the weekly. So my trajectory was that um, I started working in the calendar section, doing all the club listings, and then I had the pick of the week. And um, then I would pitch here and there. I, I pitched my very first story, cover story, um, actually, full circle, about John Roker, who owned a store with that scene called You've Got Bad Taste in Silver Lake. It was like that. Remember that little store? What, is that the one on Sunset? It was on Sunset back yeah. in the day. It was kind of inspired by EK, where I worked before. But um, he did a movie starring... Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day. Uh, it was it was about the Manson murders done with puppets. Oh yes. And Billy Joe Armstrong was the voice of Charles Manson. I ain't a politician. I'm just a bad musician. What you gonna do for me? 
When that was my very first cover story for the weekly. The only reason I got to do it was because Laurie Ochoa and Joe Donnelly fought for me that, yes, this story can be a cover. And that was my first cover story at LA Weekly. People of a certain age are just... You've just, like, reeled off <laughs> I know. superstar journalists. Just so you know, I am writing a book. Lori Ochoa was the editor-in-chief when every... I, I owe her everything. Not only did she wow. give me my first cover story, she and Joe Donnelly gave me my column, which is what now we get to. Not called... I would have loved to have called it La Dida, but Joe actually named it Night Ranger. So that was what it was called. Yes. Uh, and that was my nightlife column in which I would go out <laughs> and try... And it was very much in the spirit of, of the bold names and... Try to be snarky, but more I'm more cutesy. Right. I, I, you know, I don't like to really talk shit about people, to be honest. Did you have to go out every weekend? I did. I went out every night. Are you what? kidding? Was it uh, a have to instead of a get to? No, I loved it. This is the thing. Like, since I was, like I said, it kind of goes back to my childhood. Like, I could never, I was never free. So once I got that freedom, I was just, I ate it up. I loved going what, out. What were your usual you know, suspect clubs? Oh, my God. Everything. I mean, seriously, like... For I love to dance, so I would do all the dance club, Coven 13, Fetish Ball. Um, club Fuck was a little before my time, but I love the fetish and the goth scene. Boardners? Um, yeah, Boardners for sure. Uh, when I was younger, I was really into like the whole metal glam thing, so I did that Sunset Strip thing for a while. Um, and then I got really into raves and did the map points, all of that. Oh, I was heavy into raves. I had EK do a map, be a map point. Because I was so into the scene, the big, you know, Dr. Seuss hats and all of that. Explain what a map point is. Okay, so a map point, back in the day, the raves, the, I, I mean, they don't call it, right now they call it EDM or whatever, but like electronic music parties and clubs were underground and they'd be in a, in a warehouse and they didn't want to get caught. So you'd have to go to like three different spots. You would call a phone number. We didn't even have internet then. And uh, they'd tell you, go to this place. And then they'll, they'll tell you somewhere else. And I mean, I've literally been through like cut open chain link fences, the whole... Everybody's like the grittiest of the gritty rays. Because what I've they're trying to-, to do is they're trying to keep the cops away. And they're trying to keep large crowds away. Yeah. And they so just want you, the people connected with so the So if scene. you have to jump through all these hoops. You have to jump through all the hoops. And and, and what I remember is the, the second to last spot is basically where you park the car. And yeah. You, and you wait for a van to pick you up. Uh, I did a couple of those. A lot of times you could actually park there in downtown and then you just walk a bit. But, but I liked I liked that idea because then there's not a lot of cars around we this did warehouse. There was a couple of van moments, yeah, actually. Um, and let's be honest here. Everyone was on X. So there was the drug element um, that was played very much a part of it. And Mom, I, you know, I was totally sober at the time. I was just doing it as were a... Were you? I was just chasing a girl. You know, I, call, I call everything research. You know, so, and now now I need Prevagen to remember shit, so I wonder why. Ecstasy is the greatest drug for that music, though, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. It it wouldn't have worked at the Stone Show the other night, would it have? Nah, I don't think so. Right. Nah, I don't think so. I had a glass of wine. Um, but because, you know, because raving is is way more about the vibe. The vibe. You're not list- There's no lyrics usually. No. You're, you're just having a good time. You're having a great time. I loved that community and that scene. But you know, rock and roll was always in my heart, and I still did that. But I love wearing the. You know, me and my friends would. This is when I lived on Beachwood. We put black lights throughout our whole house, and we would not wear an outfit unless we tested it under the black light <laughs> to make sure that it totally glowed. 
you know? And we were really into that rave scene. Um, and I just think like all of, everything I did uh, infused and inspired what I, even what I do now, even though I'm old now, but you know, so uh, when I was writing for the, when, when Melissa handed over the club section to me, and DJs, and I saw that electronic music, I was part of that world too. So I knew DJs are gonna become like rock stars on some level, and let's start spotlighting them in a more significant way. And that was me, I did, you can ask the editors. Like, you I, called it. I did, and, um, and I did that for many years, and even now I do party picks that are sort of like in that spirit. Um, but under Lori Ochoa and Joe Donnelly, I had my own nightlife column, um, and it grew too. It started as a little column. It got bigger, bigger, bigger. Then I go to Coachella and I meet this guy named the Cobra Snake. Love him. Okay, I just, I mean, and I, I say this as a joke, but I kind of discovered him because he was literally a kid in dolphin shorts with a little Polaroid taking pictures. I'm like, what is this all about? And then he had a little website with the Polaroid. And I was like, oh, this guy, I'm fascinated by him. So I wrote an article about him. And then the, uh, Lori and Joe thought, you know, this is really interesting. He's tapping into, you know, it's the precursor to the Steve Aoki, Frankie Chan, all that world. Um, and so then he became my photographer for my column. But he only wanted to cover that scene, and I wanted to cover everything. Yeah. So then I was like, shit, you know. So then I said, fuck it, I'm going to buy a camera. So then I bought a camera, and I took my own pictures. And I know I'm not a great photographer, but uh, I ended up having a photo column in the weekly for years, even after they, they killed my column, which was Night Ranger. And here's where we get to the evolution. Uh, my column was killed after the sale um, to the New Times merged. Right. With the LA Weekly, okay? So it was a few years later. I think that was like 2005. That was a date I did look up before I came here. New Times merges with LA Weekly. And then, funny enough, all the people who were rivals are now part of the staff, which is interesting. Um, and I think that's when Jill Stewart, you know, a lot of the people, it all merged. It was really interesting. I remember I worked in that office on Sunset, by the way. We had already moved from Hyperion. And I saw that, you know, I was there twice a week to do my listings. And... It was, an, it was an interesting time, but it was a lot of change happened, too. We went through a few different music editors. Uh, Randall Roberts, I worked with him for a while, and then he went to The Times. Kate Sullivan, who did a music blog before that. Kate uh, uh, hired me for a couple of things. Okay, so that's your era when you wrote. Yeah. Okay. And Kate, actually, I got to give her credit. Lori, Joe, and Kate were the ones that gave me my nightlife call, Night Ranger. Nice. That, she was a music editor at the time. She's like, I want something like in the spirit of La Di Da. I'm like, please, let me have a shot, you know? Uh, she didn't last long. Then it was Randall. Then it was Gustavo Turner. Mm -hmm. And um, and I consider that era, even though there was all that flux. and, and Again, things, that three, three all-stars. Yeah. Three, I worked with all of three them. Three all-stars. And at the same time, Richard Carlman reaches out to me and says, you want to write for LA Times? And so then I'm working for him and Bob Hilburn and Randy Lewis as well. I mean, believe me, I, it doesn't escape me the legends that I got to work for. And to this day, that's all I'm trying to do is like, if I can even impart... Uh, drop of the wisdom I learned, you know, from them, that I'll be happy, you know? Hollywood Reporter Building, gone. Right. Right? Uh, and then it's called Village Voice Media now. And in my opinion, that's when everything went downhill. And that's when I separated from the weekly quite a bit. And I'll tell you why. What, what year is this approximately? Yeah, so I'm saying like, my daughter, okay, so my daughter was born in 2006. Uh, I had got my column before I was pregnant. This is the other thing. I get my dream job, and then I find out I'm pregnant. So I hid my pregnancy up until, like, I think seven months, and I still went out, and I did all the things. <laughs> and then I had to go in and to... Well, hold on. Not all the things. 
not all the things. Well, no, no drinking or right. No, no. I just mean as far as going out, <laughs> face tired all the time. But yeah, I just, you know, I, I, I didn't want to lose that opportunity. So then that ha- that well, change over. How did you hide your pregnancy at the club? Oh, did you have just loose awesome shirts, big T-shirts? You know, whatever. I mean, at some this, point, I mean, the leopard print could probably yeah, hide it a could, little. I have, this dress could hide it, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't hide. It. I hid it up to about seven months, you know, something like that. Basically, I didn't really hide it. What I did was I didn't tell anyone at the LA Weekly that I was pregnant. It's none of their business. Yeah. And and then at some point, I'm like, I got to tell. And actually, Lori was a mother, so I knew that she would understand. And she had two little ones at that time. So I said, this is what I would like. You know, getting this column was my dream. So um, I would love it if I could just take a few months off and come back and do it afterwards. Uh, and she says, well, she said, we'll see. Okay, you know, let's see what happens. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Kate got Allie Ward, who I love. Me too. Allie Ward filled in for my column, but she did a whole different thing. And what she did was really interesting. It was a, a time-stamped column where she'd be like, 8 o'clock, I'm here. 9 o'clock. And I really liked the, the way she did it. Yeah. And she was good at it. So I really thought, that's it. They're just going to keep her column. And But then I remember talking to her when I was kind of ready to come back. She's like, this is too much work. You're, you can gladly have the column back. <laughs> For her. Which is funny, right? And which, so is, the, which is also ironic because yeah. she's got a TV show oh, she's, now. She's, she's got a podcast. She's the definition of success. I mean, believe me. Well, and and I'm also, so happy for her success. Me too. Know? But also of a workaholic. But a workaholic. But I think it was the nightlife aspect. And, you know, and again, you do need to be plugged into all these different little scenes. And, you know, it's a lot of names. And, you know, it's it's a lot. Not anyone could do it. I mean, people like you could do it, of course. But, no, no, no. you know. I, I can't. I forget the person's name well, right now, away. But this we're talking, you know, a long also, time ago. It's, it would be so hard for me not to have a drink at every club. I always had the drink at the club. How did you... Uh, reports on, uh, the, on club number five. Yeah, that's the thing. The, it's funny you say that because there would be nights. People would be like, there came a point, especially after my daughter was born, where I would just go, okay, tonight I'm going to hit four things. So I don't have to go out every night. I'll just do it all in one night. And then, of course, I wasn't drinking. I'm, I'm a two-cocktail girl. So however I would divide it out, it would be two cocktails for a night, and that's it. Yes. You know? The other thing we're not mentioning here is that those days, you had a week to write the piece. This is pre-internet I'm talking about with my column. So my deadline for the Thursday's paper was after the weekend. Hence, I had time to like sit on it, think about it, sober up. But as soon as the internet happened, and this is what I'm getting to with the Culver City location, yes. as soon as Village Voice Media came in, my column was killed. And it was like, oh, but you can still write about nightlife. We just want you to go. And then we want you to write it the next morning. So then... All bets were off. Things changed drastically. Yeah. So the internet changed everything. The internet, I mean, I literally lived through that change yeah. of like, you know, starting as a teenager practically that's like on a typewriter to like internet. Oh, social media. Like, I mean, I've really seen it all and it blows my mind when I think about it. Um, but yeah, I blamed the internet a lot for a lot of the change. I, I had a, the heyday was the, the Sunset Boulevard, you know, the Hollywood Reporter building and getting to write these things and working with, like you said, the all-star editors I got to and then doing the LA Times. That to me was like the highlight, you know, of LA Weekly for me. Then it moved to Culver City. Um, and then this is the thing that really bothered me was that they started bringing in, Village Voice started bringing in editors who weren't from LA. Why would they do that? Because they were from their other paper and some other, and I don't want to say names, but there were editors that were not from L.A. And just as you would expect, those were the hardest ones because they didn't know my history. And they didn't trust me the way the editors from L.A. did. And, I mean, I'll tell you, and so we were talking about punk rock earlier. I'm not going to say who. It was a male editor, uh, not music. He wasn't music, so that's fair. But it was a male editor at the Weekly who, when I, I wanted to cover this punk rock art show, and uh, I mentioned something about Darby Crash, 
And he didn't know who Darby Crash was. He's fired. You're an editor at the LA Weekly in a, you know, in a section that's like culture and arts. And you don't know that? Like, to me, that was, there was something really wrong there. And more and more editors were coming in who were not from L.A. And some of them, I wrote this in my OC Weekly piece. I really resented that, being from L.A. and loving the city so much and knowing it. Um, But I, there was a lot who were very good journalists, great journalists. And they cared and they listened to people like me. And so that was fine. But I also had people who, who really didn't. And then by this time, my daughter's a toddler. So that era of the Culver City L.A. Weekly was when I was kind of a little less involved. Um, I would go to the office sometimes, but by then we could work from home on our computers. So I would go there sometimes and I was still doing things. I actually still had a column. Funny enough, the only thing that I kept as a regular gig was the photo column, which I only did out of necessity. <laughs> only did out of necessity. I did it for Gustavo. And then, uh, my, my all time favorite music editor though is the last one, Andy Herman. Mm. I, t- I, he knows this. I've always said, you are my favorite edit- music editor that I ever worked with at LA Weekly. Mm-hmm. Because for one, we had a similar sensibility. He did respect my history and my knowledge. Mm-hmm. And he gave me more work than the two previous editors did. Wow. Yeah. So Andy Herman, I love him. I'll say that, you know. And I didn't know he was the, the last music editor of that era. He's the last music editor before Brian bought it. Right. Meaning he was one of the people that was, fought, you know, let go. Interesting. Yeah. And believe me, when all this went down with the boycott, I consulted him. I consulted some of the people we've just talked about today on what to do. And that was part of the reason I made the decision to stay on at the Weekly. So as we're getting to that, um, just to say, to reflect back on the Culver City years, um, obviously there's some great work came out of that. Great editors, great journalists. I'm not bulleting any of that. I'm just saying my old school perspective, point of view on it is that a lot of changes happened there that weren't very good. Um, that was the first time, again, this isn't a story I wrote, um, that I heard the word, even the term clickbait. And you need, I had to start worrying about traffic uh, in terms of what I was writing about. I never even, that wasn't even something I thought about before. You know, I just wanted to connect with people and I wanted to celebrate people uh, in LA that were cool, you know, but all of a sudden when Village Voice Media and that whole era of the Culver City offices, it became really about that. Really about that. You, you are a seasoned, uh, a seasoned journalist, far more than I am. And, um, but I've been an editor of places that the boss cares very much about the numbers. Absolutely. And, and it, I understand that. And, and, and and I do too, but my argument used to be yeah. back to them. What? If you try to hit a home run against Nolan Ryan, you're going to strike out. How yeah. about just play baseball? There you go. And see what happens. I love that analogy. If if you go to a club looking for a hot headline, you're never going to find it. If you are just being you, yeah. And your friend gets punched by Courtney Love, <laughs> and you're prepared as a journalist, yeah. and you have a camera, yeah. and you know who Darby Crash is, yeah. then you're ang- you're going to end up in the right place, yeah. the, the, the place you should be in, yeah. with the equipment, because you're right. a pro, right. you're not going to be drunk, and right. you're going to be able to report You might that. be a little buzzed, but that's okay. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> it might be better. Yeah, it might be better. But, be better. If you, but if you go out saying... I need a million hits yeah, before no. whenever. No. It's never going to happen. And of course now, right at this moment, of course that's something that's a consideration for all of us. Of course it is. But I never let it drive. Uh, and maybe that's why, like I said, I distanced myself a little bit because it became so focused on that. But then it was really interesting because when Andy came on as a music editor, I really he, he cared about more than that. Good. And he let me he gave me my first cover that I had uh, Depeche Mode in a really long time. <laughs> 
you know, I got to write about so many things once again, like the old days, and it was really awesome. But there was a period there where it just wasn't, I was not really happy. And I was actually looking into um, even doing, getting out of the profession. I tried PR for a minute, hated it. Uh, but during, because <laughs> you know, when you're used to being hit, hit up and then now you're hitting the others up, even though you know how it works, it's right. not fun. No. Um, but during those Culver City years, I tried a lot of other things because I was just like really disillusioned. Um, so that's why now coming full circle with where we're at now and all the things that are said, it doesn't ring true to me because that really was the time that I felt the most frustration. So, so you felt it before Brian. Oh, way before. Don't, I don't remember the guy's name, but I do remember Village Voice. There was some COO of something that was just like, yeah, numbers, numbers, numbers. So, you know? so your response to the haters of the LA Weekly is, is, girl, you haven't seen nothing. Yeah, and I don't you that, remember what happened before? Well, they don't because they weren't there. Right. I mean, let's be honest here. So the editors that were in place before the sale, let's get to that now. And we're talking Culver City offices. Maybe I wasn't as involved as, you know, I was during those the Hollywood era. But um, I really did enjoy working with a lot of them. A lot of them. Um, I never, people always said that I should try to apply to be part of the staff of the LA Weekly considering my history. But I loved the freedom of being a freelancer. By this time, LA Times was getting less and less, but I did write for LA Times. I covered Coachella parties. That might be the last thing I wrote for LA Times was a Coachella party article maybe like 10 years ago or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but so yeah, I was freelancing. By this time I was like, well, if the weekly isn't going to be as receptive as they once were, I'm happy actually because it pushed me. And that's when I wrote for Rolling Stone and Playboy and Variety and Billboard. My, you know, my resume is pretty good because I just pushed myself. I had great clips. I wouldn't have done that if I was just real comfortable at the weekly. So, you know, everything happens for a reason. When, why I decided to become an editor at the weekly was Derek Rainey. Derek Rainey had been there before and he had always been a champion of my work at the weekly as a freelancer, always said I should be part of the staff. And he finally said, now this is your chance to do all the things you wanted to do. Um, at the weekly, you know, as an editor, you will have that power to cover all the stories and the things of LA that you wanted to. He has been at the weekly for, you know, I don't even know what, how long, but I know it's over a decade, maybe 15, 16, I don't know how many years, but a really long time. that long. Oh, hell yeah. He's been there. I've known him for years and he sat in on every meeting with every editor. He knows the heart and soul of LA weekly. And he's doing a great job as the editor-in-chief. Person of color? Person of color, which I mentioned to you before, never got mentioned during the BLM um, protests. You know, all journalism should outlets he, were, he... were looked at, right? As like, well, let's see the makeup of the staff, blah, blah. No one mentioned that the LA Weekly's, the, the boss at LA Weekly is a black man. Should he be out there more? Maybe, but that's not his style, you know? I know, and but sometimes he got to. Maybe he should be out there, but I bet, the, I bet that the naysayers would say, oh, see, blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't know. Um, that's not his style. He's right. pretty low key, but I mean, I have so much respect for him and he's the reason that I came on board, became part of the team and I have zero regrets about it. Working with him has been so wonderful. Um, and like I said, you know, in terms of covering, um, people of color, it's li literally every editorial meeting that that topic comes up. We try our best to reflect LA. I am a proud Latina. My father is an immigrant from South America. My mother's a Chicana Mexican. Hold on. Where's, where's your dad from? Ecuador. Nice. Yeah. And so I try to cover, you know, um, Latin culture as much as I can. Um, you put your parents on the, the cover? Well, I didn't do that. I, that was not my, I was actually against that because I thought people might say, oh, you put your parents. Who you know, cares? It was First really of all, relevant. awesome picture. Yeah, right? From awesome the, the very first graffiti 
L.A. graffiti book ever. Really? Yeah, that's good. I mean, you can look it up. It's even Chaz Bohorkas says that that was the first book that covered this culture. And my parents are in it. I'm going to put it on our website, hereinla.com. Okay. I'm going to put up this this uh, cover. Fantastic. Yeah. Black beautiful. and white. Black and white. Beautiful. Your parents are just beautiful people, too, on top of yeah. it. Yeah. I'm really proud of them. But I did, you know, I did feel a little like, well, maybe we should use another image. I actually said, and they said, this is the best image. Um, so, and then it did fit because that piece I wrote was about the complexities of, um, you know, appropriate, all the things that we're all talking about now, appropriation and the debate over Latinx versus Latino, Latina, and you know, all of it was in there. Um, and that book just got re-released. It was Latin Heritage Month and it just all fit together and it made so much sense. So it, you know, I'm, I'm, now I'm very happy that that made How should I feel about Latinx? I'm against it. Fine. Yeah, and I've, I've written about why many times, um, but here's the thing. I'm against it for me, and I'm also against it for white journalists um, because it seems like they're just trying so hard. This is the only time you should use Latinx. If the person you're interviewing identifies as Latinx. I see. If you are not sure, ask them. And if you're not able to ask them if they are queer, LGBTQ, yeah. good chance they like Latinx. Right. Okay? And, and it's as simple as that. Because are they. Right, because, because this generation, which my daughter is really helping school me on, does not want to be identified by their gender or their sexual preference. And I have a lot of respect for that coming yeah. from the punk community. Um, but I think that it's been used as a blanket term by white yeah. journalists, like Latinx. And it's just, it's, every time I see it, I cringe when it's used that way, presumptively. So, so as a writer, yeah. when I don't use it. But would you, though, if you're talking about um, cross-dressers on a TV show? I don't know unless they told unless I saw previous you know if I did my research or you would ask them I would ask them or I do my research how do they identify nowadays geez even social media has a place for she her she her he you know like all of the pronouns so I always respect a pronoun of course and I always respect an ID but to just presumptively say Latinx no no and most Latina Latino Latin now is a new one uh, (laughs) people my age feel the same way for the most part. How do you feel about Hispanic? I'm fine with it because as I wrote in that piece, it represents the, the native language, which is Spanish. So that's all the Latin American countries. Uh, my father is not Mexican. My father is Ecuadorian. Mm-hmm. Uh, hence, I am Hispanic. My mother is Mexican. So Hispanic is just that blanket term. Uh, my father's first language is Spanish. Uh, you know? Should we be saying Chicano? Chicano is specifically related to um, Mexican Americans. So that's so, when you so use dad Chicana. no on that one. My dad is not mom, Chicana. Yes. My mom is Chicana. Yes. I see. Yeah. And it's not that hard to like do the research and figure it out, but people would rather just do, you know, some woke term and say Latinx. And so, yeah, it kind of bugs me. I'm actually okay with the woke people because at least they're trying. I'm more concerned about where I come from in the Midwest, where they just call everybody a Mexican. Well, yeah, there's that. <laughs> There you go. When they're just making blanket statements. I just think blanket statements are, ge- are in general are problematic. There's nuances and there's how it's identity. And we all identify a little differently. Like, how do you identify? Well, I'm black, but I'm, but I'm so light skinned that I usually try to tell people first. So, but what do you, do you identify as black or do you oh, say yeah. I'm mixed? How do you? No. You wouldn't say that, right? No. Okay. So, well, that's, you know, you're, that's a good point. And so you're saying that for Hispanics... They don't, you don't. <laughs> I don't think that, no, I'm actually saying that for Hispanic people that whose native language is Spanish or whose parents' native language is Spanish, yeah. 
I don't know. I, I, you know, I can only speak for myself. There are people that are very touchy about all of this. Yeah. But personally, um, I'm not because, you know, this is what I've learned from my family and how they handle it. But as a journalist, we have a responsibility. That's right. And I understand that. So, again, I never just automatically use Latinx. I always ask. Or I do my research and I find out how the person wants to be identified. Yes. But also as good people, just regular good people, yeah. we want to say the right thing. We want to say the right thing. And to me, it's just a, a form of respect. Yeah. Well, I, like I said, I have seen and felt criticism about LA Weekly since I started in my 30, 30 years. <laughs> Constantly for every little thing, whether it be just, you know, topically what's covered, the quality of an article, the the, the thickness. I mean, you can just go on and on and on. There's always been haters. There's always going to be haters. And I get that. And to be honest with you, I'm a sensitive person. I don't have a very thick skin. I think I've like, uh, I've, I've developed one a little bit, but I'm still really sensitive because as you can see, talking about my history of the weekly, it means so much to me. It's like part of my soul. Yes. And, um, and no matter what, people think about the owner like you said you know you're not a fan whatever it's like I think anyone who knows me or sees anything I do sees I'm coming from a place of of love respect um and just wanting to get it right so badly mm -hmm. and and I love this entity this paper as an entity and I will do everything I can you know I I don't jump off the ship if it looks like it's thinking I want to save it and I, I mean, people can argue and say you're not okay maybe I'm not because uh, there's a lot of factors there that's making it difficult, but um, you know I'm doing the best I can, and the people that I write about are very appreciative, and that means more to me than what a naysayer can say. In terms of the current owner, never have I been asked or influenced or censored. My vision as the culture and entertainment LA Weekly has never been influenced, not once. That speaks for a lot. Is he in the editorial meetings? No. No planning meetings? No. Uh, he was, pre see again, post-COVID things are just so differently. We, meetings are in Zoom now, mm -hmm. you know. But he's uh, not there. He was there once in a while sometimes, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, but Derek is the boss and Derek is the person that we pitch our ideas to and say what we're gonna cover each week. And discussions happen amongst all of the editors who I have so much respect for. They're all in it for the right reason. Not that it matters, but they're all liberal. Okay, and um, it matters. Okay, well, I think it matters, but like some people would say, well, you know, you work alongside people who believe differently than you as long as you're doing what you do. But yeah, it matters to me, but it, to some people, it might not matter. Is my point? Well, I, I just feel like, I mean, we you spent more time at the LA Times than I did. The but, Weekly. Uh, the LA Times. Oh, the Times too. Yeah. And um, I mean, I'm very appreciative of the three and a half years that I was there. Yeah. The LA Times was very nervous about being considered liberal. And oh. so they went out of their way oh. to hire conservatives or people who were more in the middle. Yeah, yeah. And they and and when it came to straight news coverage, yeah. they were also very sensitive. Did you feel it was slanted? No. Um, overseeing the blogs, I made sure that we had at least one political blog that was fully right. Fully? Because you felt that it was important to have that other point of view, even though... You, I still do. You, even though you disagree. Oh, you did. So even I, if The Weekly had some of that type of content, you would actually say that... that no. Okay. I think The Weekly is different. Okay. I, think, I mean, and I agree, but... I you think know. The Weekly should be as flaming left-wing as it can be. <laughs> and we are. B because the LA Times can't be. Right. I see what you're saying. No matter what... Do you think the, all weeklies in general should reflect liberal ideals? No. 
Okay. I think there should also be conservative alt weeklies oh. that are full blown right. Really? Yes. I don't think that those. I don't think that if that existed, I don't think it would cover culture, art, and music. Uh, I don't think they would be able to, right? I, I don't either. <laughs> but so then it's just but, a political but, weekly, but, which is fine. Yeah. But at least let's give them a chance. Yeah, yeah. Because okay. because you know people who vote for Trump party too. Ugh. But they yeah. do. Yeah. And so so I I just think that the weekly because of its history. Yeah. Shouldn't pretend to be what it's not. Even though the weekly did have a moment where they were trying to be more center. And a lot of people. Wait, about lot of people, what years were those? Yeah, well, that was uh, like the Jill Stewart years, oh, you know. Mm-hmm. That I remember that because I remember those. Dis- I was there. Yeah. I remember those discussions, and I remember the tension about it. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, I don't think it was. You know, it was more like a libertarian sort of middle of the road thing. Yes. Um, I think that there was, if I remember correctly, both kind of uh, points of view were re- were kind of reflected. Mm-hmm. I think that has value. I just think in the era of Trump. Um, I think that that is why, too, the whole boycott thing really took off because yeah. we were all dealing with Trump. And it was like we had so many. Oh, God, every day, the bullshit and the, you know, and I think that tolerance for any other. This is why we now have the council culture and everything else. It's like our, our to- people like us who care about our fellow man and who are liberal, yeah. our tolerance for other points of view just it, it was just really hard to take. If it was Mitt Romney, there wouldn't be the, the energy or the fear. I mean, I remember doing everything in my power. Again, the Rock for Choice events, all anti-Bush. You know, I was heavily involved in all of that. What a cover was that in the LA Weekly? Oh, yeah, Bush as the devil. Oh, so good. Beautiful cover. I know. By the way, your tattoo cover was beautiful, too. Thank you. And your name real nice. Yeah. um... I always talk to Derek about, Derek is the mastermind for the visual elements. And, like, the feedback that I've gotten uh, has been great and the support. And it... Ultimately, not in the beginning, but ultimately it drowned out all that other stuff. And yeah, I blocked people too. But, you know, um, (laughs) but you know what I mean? Because at some point you don't want, when you're working so hard for something that you care about and your intentions are good and right, you you can't be beat down like that all the time by hearing all this negativity. Um, But I will say that I did try to engage quite a bit on my social media in the beginning. and and, And I won a few people over just from, here's a link. That can prove what I'm saying, you know, but you, you, one person can't do that. No. And I don't even think a PR company should be who do. I really think the work should speak for itself. I do, too. But I'll, I'll, let me tell you one little story. One of the first articles I wrote in college was the chancellor of UC Santa Barbara was hated on all the time. This woman. And um, and she got a DUI. Ooh. And I was like, this is my way to talk to her. Yeah, because she's down on her luck. The newspaper that the college paper that I write for is always attacking. Everybody's attacking her, and she's this very quiet, private, professional chancellor. You you get it why she got the job? Okay. And I was like, you got to talk to the newspaper, and I'm still on your side because we're a party school. <laughs> I see myself in you. Yeah. And so let's talk. And one of the things that she said to me still rings true, which she said, I just thought that the work would take care of itself. But what I've learned being a chancellor is you do have to put out this image. You do have to talk to all these people. You do have to shake hands and glad hand. And then you also have to do the work. I mean, I agree, but I think that as a fellow journalist, you know that our time is so limited right now. It is. You know, it's not... And, and money is so limited. Yes. And especially post-COVID, it's a miracle, you know, we are, I, I think, 
I'm very thankful to be in the position I am right now. And I know it could end at any time. Yeah. Um, and for all the noise and negativity that's been said, no one can doubt my sincerity here. Yes. You know, um, or my history. And I can I, I put that out on my social as often as I can. But then I almost feel like maybe I'm bringing too much attention. You know, it's like that double edged sword of because no one else even wants to because the other the other narrative is, is very strong. Um, and so a lot of people just don't even want to do that. And I don't either. But um, whenever I get a chance, I point out the fact that we're going on four years now, you know, um, awards covering just all the, I mean, all the stuff that inspired me to pick up an LA Weekly as a teenager, those are the, I, I, I think about that to this day when I, back when I had a budget, I could assign freelancers. Um, that's a whole other thing we didn't get into, but, um, you know, assigning freelance writers to cover things. Now I'm kind of doing it mainly myself post COVID, but I always think about the OG Weekly and what inspired me and the kinds of people. And that's what I'm covering now. And like, that should count for something. Like before you read something on, you know, social media and just share it as fact. Can you, the, the, the thing that really bummed me out the worst was that it would be journalists who would just share a narrative without doing their research first. I understand just the casual people don't, we know people don't click. They just look at the headline and then they make a whole <laughs> post about it. Right. But fellow journalists, don't, many of them, I lost respect for a few actually. Um, not even people who were pro boycott, but just people in the middle. Name names. You just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm sure you did, I'm though. Kidding. No, no. And well, it'd be okay if you did. No, no, no. Honestly, no. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know. I don't have a specific person in mind. I'm just saying that, like, in general, I think we can agree that um, before you spread something, you know, a piece, a fact, a narrative that, you know, may be nuanced and, you know, more to it than that, I just think it's really dangerous to just share that on social media. Um, and I think that as media people, we have a responsibility more than others like if you read an article that I wrote and you thought it sucked, that's your prerogative to go on the internet and say that Lena's article sucked. And believe me, that happened. That happened. I actually don't like to do this. And in fact, I only have a radio show to, I, I, to challenge myself to be a better public speaker. And I flub my words and all of that. So I'm sure that what I've said today will probably get some critique, but you know, I'm a writer. Um, and I'm trying to challenge myself and I also just wanted to, and thank you for giving me a form to Thanks just say, to say my point of view, but I don't say everything perfectly. I just know what I know. And, um, I know that, uh, you know, I'm trying to do the best that I can. And I know the people I work with are also trying to do that. So, well, I'll tell you this, this is hard on me too. I could. I would I would be just as happy being in that little room there and just really oh so you yeah also have a oh for sure yeah and, and people when they meet me they're like but you're so outgoing I'm, yeah and I'm like for a couple hours same <laughs> I think extroverts <laughs> like us we also have that introverted thing about us yeah. that um, and I'll tell you something like you know I'll leave this interview and I'll think about what I said of oh, I shouldn't have said that I shouldn't have said that <laughs> at the end of the day I know that my heart's in the right place so. Yes. And, and I know that I'm being honest with you. And, and you know it comes I mean? across, too. Yeah. So if I say something that doesn't sound perfect, so be it. Like, I can live with that because um, I let my work kind of speak for itself. Mm -hmm. And um, and I do love to talk, but it's just like you, you know? I get real chatty. There's, and then I just burn out. Right. It's like, don't talk to me. <laughs> Plus, we know people who want the spotlight. Let them have it. And they're good at it. Yeah. You know, let Courtney Love be on TV <laughs> all day long. Seriously. Let all yeah. these actors be actors all day long. Yeah. 
I would rather help you achieve your dream yeah. than be the person on the podium. Because Lord knows, you put two drinks in me, regret for days yeah, if you same. put a microphone in front of same. me. You know, so... Um, so you and I are, are, are very similar that I way. I think so. I think everyone's intentions are good until you prove me wrong that they're not. Yes. You know, and even the people that, you know, have been against LA Weekly, I know that they just, you know, they care about it too and they're in a different way. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and I would hope that hearing me speak from my heart that they would at least acknowledge that, yeah, you do really care. I don't, you know, agree with everything or I don't, you don't even have to like my writing or my work. But my, you know, that my sincerity is really there. My respect for the paper that I work for is there. And also, I hope is, somebody people would acknowledge that. Change is hard. And change is hard. I mean, the best example, you, when you go down Melrose, you're not happy. <laughs> yeah. Because you were there when it was awesome. To be honest with you, I'm not so happy with Silver Lake. Um, are you Are you satisfied with how Los Feliz has changed over time? Yeah, yeah. Somehow um, it, it just has hung in there. It's hung in there. I mean, we could even go and talk about Vermont Avenue, where EK still stands. Please do. Uh, back in the day, when I, when we first moved there, it was a store called Extra Large. Sorry. The Beastie who, Boys. The Beastie Boys store. I worked there, too, actually. Did you really? Uh, Uh, they had a girl store called X Girl, which was Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth. Right next Line, door. And I worked there too, Andy K. Look at you. For a little bit. Well, because it's next door and they needed filling. I bet you I bought clothes from you. You probably did. And then a Muck Books was there. My only problem with Extra Large. Yeah. I mean, biggest Beastie Boys fan yeah. in the world right yeah. here. It was a little pricey. Oh, it was pricey. Why? I don't know. Because it's a Beastie Boys connection. But they were already rich. I know. Yeah, I, I never really got that. All the stuff was pretty pricey there. I, I even working there, I only had a few pieces. You I know. guess I forgot that Kim Gordon was ex girl. She was she was ex girl. Yeah. Did you get to hang? I met, with her? I met her once. I didn't get to hang out with her. But um, like you know, Spike Jones was hanging out there a lot because he would do the videos. And, yeah. And that whole world, and that's a whole other era. You know, we, I went over the early era of my life in Silver Lake and that store, but the later era on, on Vermont and Los Feliz was very cool. Um, I mentioned Amuck Books, which was this like really cool alternative bookstore. Uh, Mondo Video, this is when you start video stores. And then um, even, see, now I'm learning. I'm learning. <laughs> Those are the cops going really slow. I'm giving you so much. You're going to have too much for 45 minutes here. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to just cut out all the weekly stuff. <laughs> Would you like that better? No. Remember the or do you, if you didn't go, do you remember the Onyx? What's that? Okay, so right now it's like some French fancy schmancy restaurant that people sit outside on the. Oh yeah. That used to be a, the first coffee house, literally the first coffee. Yes, house. Yes, I did. It was called the Onyx. Beck used to play there yes. all the time. My best friend at the time, the guy who taught me how to drive. By the way, I learned how to drive around the Silver Lake Reservoir. Nice. No shit. The That's a good who, place to learn. Yeah, because you just keep going in circles. Yeah. Yeah. Every time I drive around, I think about. I remember that when I. That's how I learned. Uh, the guy, my best friend, who taught me how to drive around the reservoir, was the manager of the Onyx Cafe. 
and they would have art, music, Beck would play there. Uh, it was a, it was pre Starbucks. A friend picked me up a back corner past five. Stopped and got some donuts and we took a little drive. Had a can of nitrous, we rolled the windows up. Now we're breathing deeply, breathing deeply. That's to me the heyday of Las Feliz Village. Yes. Then other things came in, you know, Fred 62, which is still there and great. Yep. Palermo's Pizza, I still eat there all the time. Yep. Um, there used to be this little Japanese place where the theater is called Mako. Yeah. I used to eat all the time. Um, so, yeah, you know, I know that your show is kind of based on areas. And for but, me, Las Feliz and Silver Lake are kind of like overlap a lot. I think so, too. You already which, did Silver Lake, though, right? Is, no, I haven't yet. <laughs> Oh well, there you go. And and there's and there's some areas or areas that kind of blur the line. Yeah. So the the vista, uh, we I, I interviewed. What do you consider that? I consider it Los Feliz. Okay. Because I'm I'm looking only at the streets. Yeah. And it's because it's on the northeast side of, I mean, all those streets. There's like six streets that intersect there. I yeah. consider that Los Feliz, don't you? Yeah. Um. The but, Vista, it's just so funny because growing up in Silver Lake, I kind of do consider it Silver Lake too. Right. Because there's the Tiki Tea. Okay. And you keep going so down. Tiki Tea, I'm really unsure about. Right. Is that the border maybe? <laughs> I, I guess for, for Silver Lake, I consider the border McDonald's. Oh, interesting. So you consider my daughter's junior high school because that's Fountain turning into Hyperion. Yeah. That's the McDonald's. They always go that right there, the flower shop. So like Akbar. Ak- Akbar, Akbar, I don't even know what it is. Yeah. Because it's not Little Armenia. Because I'm going to do Thai Town. Oh. Of course I'm going to do Thai Town. Cut it out. Cut it out. In fact, I think that that was the best thing I ever did for the LAist. Yeah, what was up? I, we had, I, I couldn't pay anybody. So I was like, since I'm not paying anybody, and you're going to eat lunch anyways, yeah. everybody go eat lunch in Thai Town, and let's do something that even the LA Times and even the LA Weekly can't do. Yeah. Because Jonathan Gold was working with you back then. Yeah, I was. Jonathan Gold can't go to 30 restaurants in a month in Thai Town. He might have been able to. <laughs> but he, he's not gonna. Well, he's not, yeah. So if we all just gang-banged Thai Town. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like a and crew. All, a crew. And, and every day a new review on Thai Town. That's cool. Then we'd have covered it you in the whole that? month. You did that? Yes. Oh, I like that. I've got to look for that. And people are like, well, are you going to pay for my lunch? I was like, fool, you're going to eat lunch anyways. Right. And Just, it's cheap. And it's Thai Town. You get a combo for five bucks. We're so lucky to have Thai Town. We are. The food's great. So, um, so yeah. Tiki Tea, what do you, do you consider that? I guess oh, if, I you, don't know. if you think the Vista's Silver Lake, then Tiki Tea's got well, to be Well, again, because I grew up in Silver Lake, and those are like two spots of mine. Right. Um, but, you know, they're kind of Las Feliz, too. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I wrote them an email. Okay. I mean, I'm just going to have to go in there. Yeah. Because I have to interview them for this. Oh, Tiki Tea? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know those guys. If you, I have their contact if you'd because like. Because I heard that all of that style of drinks... All comes from Filipinos in L.A. This, uh, this... I actually did a deep dive on them. And did the you? Culture. And actually, no, his father. Right. His father. And, well, yeah, and there is some connection there with the Don the Beachcomber and all right. of that. Um, and, you know, I wrote a book about dive bars called L.A.'s Best Dive Bars. I did and know TV this. And is in that. Is it in there? So, yeah, of course. But um, I also, uh, 
But 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 am I wrong to? Was in the tiki scene for a while myself heavily. What a great scene! It's so fun. Yeah, uh, and but, I love those guys. So so am I. So in your research, yeah, I love talking to experts. Yeah, I heard that it was basically four Filipino Los Angelinos who created this style. Right. And the rest of the world just assumed it came from Hawaii, but it it did not. I, from what I read, that is part of it. But oh. it's kind of a combination where the you know the the islands they also were inspired by that because there was like Don the Beachcomber and what was the other one? The original. Trader Vicks. Thank you, Trader Vicks. So and then his father, uh, Ray, had a connection with one of them. So I mean, they really deserve the credit where credit is due. But I think you're right that there is that connection as well. You put a pineapple in there and everybody thinks it's from Hawaii. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think like a lot of these cultures are not like cut and dried. Oh, it just came from this. Same thing with lowrider culture and graffiti culture and all of yes. You know what I mean? Like you, there, you can you can cite like certain areas where that helped inspire it. Yeah. But it's a combination. So I don't want to speak for them. I think you should interview them. Yeah. And they can tell the story. I did do a story about tiki culture and I went deep and I, I interviewed a guy who is the expert. If you ever really, he wrote the book of tiki. Um, and he kind of gave me some insight too, but now of course memory, I don't remember okay. exactly, but yeah, I think that Tiki Tea is, you know, an iconic spot should definitely be, um, celebrated and, you know, we talk about Silver Lake in general. So the gentrification and the, and the better schooling, I love the, the mom and pop business is struggling. I don't love, I don't yep. love, you know, the moon juice. Let's, let's go yeah. back to, um, to Charlotte. Okay. I'm happy to talk about my daughter. Um, a young person today in L.A. in the same neighborhoods that you grew up in. Yeah, same neighborhoods. Except they're safer now. Yeah. <laughs> you hesitated. No, yeah, I had to think about it. I'm like, yeah. I mean, of course, as a mother, I have all these fears of things she can get into. And that's what I'm asking. Oh, and that's what you're asking. Um, what are you asking? <laughs> well, because I mean, okay. <laughs> I don't want to call... I, I don't want to assume that you were a wild young lady. You know, I wasn't actually. That's what's interesting is that I was very innocent. First of all, I led a very sheltered life. But I'm saying um, when you were 20, let's say. Yeah, no, I wasn't wild Wait, in the but sense. But you were going to clubs with a fake I was ID. drinking, you know. Um, I never did, dr just if you're wondering, I never did hard drugs ever. Ever, um, ever? Oh, except for the raves. Yeah, the raves. Okay. But, no, but nothing. But not heroin or coke? No, never. Okay. Smoking no. joints. Um, That's not hard drugs, though. I, I mean, I've been pro-legalization long before it was, you know, where we're at now. Shrooms? So, oh, yeah, at the Reggae on the River concert once. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I used to go to, oh, actually, not once. I went to Reggae on the River a few times, and we would do, of course, these kind of little Which river was that? Uh, Kern River, I believe. Bakersfield? Kern River. I don't know. Wherever Kern River is. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Reggae on the River, and I remember it because I got lost. <laughs> And uh, I was lost for hours. Uh, you should also know that um, my ex-husband, who is my daughter's father, I met him when I was in high school. So at a, a high school party in Echo Park. Actually, I met him at the McDonald's on Glendale Boulevard in Echo Park. Uh, and then we all went to Griffith Park, you know, for this like party in the woods type thing. And I had a crush on him for a long time. And then we started dating when, uh, before we were both 21. We were on and off for many years. But... In terms of being wild in that way, I always had a boyfriend, mm. um, if that's what you were talking about. No, no, no. Oh, I didn't know what you meant. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about drugs and, and booze. Oh, no. Just, just, Be because, just the two. Just because, the two. I mean, I, I don't know if it's good or bad, but I've, yeah. I've never had kids. Okay. And my friends who do have kids yeah. um, who are still stoners yeah. 
don't smoke pot with their kids. Yeah. They think it's weird. Yeah, I don't. That I would. I, I, um, I will enjoy my my current boyfriend is a musician, and you know, together we, of course, will partake. And also, I write about that. We didn't even get into that, but LA Weekly covers quite a bit of cannabis culture now. Yes, it does. And and you know, that should not be critiqued because that is such a valid part of culture here in in Los Angeles. And I've always been an advocate for it, so I'm happy to cover it. Um, but yeah, so of course, you know, um, because of that, I need to do my research and so yeah i will do that but i would never partake with my daughter however she knows that i'm pro-legalization and she also knows that i think that alcohol is more dangerous yes you know she knows that and she also knows that i don't believe a growing body and mind should really be doing it um, oh really yeah because you're still you're you're, you're still growing your brain what, what's, is still the, growing. what's the age then i think you should wait until you know you're 18 but ideally that's not going to happen but you know, the upper teens, I really think when you're a preteen, you are still growing and you're going, your hormones are going all over the place and you're, it's, it's a tough time and I don't think that it helps. I honestly don't. And the people I know that started that young ended up having, not that it's a gateway drug, but if you already have a predisposition to numb, I think that it's just very dangerous to play with that when you're younger. But I've talked to my daughter. She knows I cover cannabis culture for the weekly and one day I would be happy to smoke a joint with her but I want I want her to be an adult and really have her full mindset and know what she's doing so my question to you is yeah is it I'm sure it's it's harder for a mom to tell their daughter ecstasy is so great and I can't wait for you to be 21 <laughs> I to be honest with you I would never do it now anyway no 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 but but you, for her and her but 20s, you want her you to experience that right um uh, she doesn't need to experience that ever <laughs> Is that really hypocritical? No, here's the it's thing. It's okay to be hypocritical about your daughter. No, here's, here's okay, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I think that, like, when I look back on, like, why did I have that experimental moment? I did, I was kind of hungry to just, curious, right? You're right. curious, see, like, what's that all about? And everything's going to be enhanced. And I want to, I just want to experience that. Um, but I will admit that, you know, I didn't do that a lot because, uh, I did not like the feeling. First of all, i already have a lot of energy and I don't like that feeling. Hence why I don't like Coke or any of that stuff of feeling like that, like speedy feeling. Yeah. I don't like the speedy feeling that comes with the territory yeah. as well as just the come down. Like, I think that's why I like, um, cannabis is because, you know, you could take a hit off of a joint and feel good for a little while and then you're back to yourself and, you know, I got a lot of work to do. Like, I don't have time to be like checking out. You know, I just, I don't yeah. think it's produ it's not productive. It's not good for me. I mean, some people do it all the time and they're great, mm -hmm. but for me, it's it's just a, an occasional kind of enhancement. The the other thing that I would be a bad dad about. Yeah. I would shove music down their throats. Well, that I do. Do you? Well, I told you, my daughter literally said to me, "Mom, you brainwashed me." You brainwashed her. You me. intended to brainwash her. I didn't intend to. I just, I love music so much, <laughs> you know? And so it was always around. Um, are you playing music for her in the house? Now? Ever. Oh, all her, all of are, her life I did. Are you like, right. In the car, I sing along to the top of my lungs, lungs and right. embarrass her. All of that. That embarrasses her? Yeah, it does. What, I'm, her, what? I'm her mom. Of course she's embarrassed by me. I would think that would be the sweetest thing ever. Nah. <laughs> no, the only song she'll sing along with me now, and this is kind of cool actually, is the Go Go's, because uh, it's fun and poppy, and we know the words. And when that comes on, she'll still sing it with me. I had Jane Weedlin on my radio show, and my daughter got to meet her, and that was a moment.
doesn't uh, hook that up for me. So that was right. cool. Yeah. Um, but before all of that, yeah. would you say to her, you've got to listen to these ladies because first of all, first all female band to do blah, blah, blah. Do you yeah. tell her like the whole history of rock and roll? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Whether she likes it or not. I mean, I'm her mom and it's what I'm obsessed with. Of course, she's going to get some of that. Um, and she's been seeking it out. A more Funny enough, just yesterday, uh, her English teacher said she had to find a book. And she's like, Mom, I want a book. I want to learn about punk rock. So I handed her two books. She picked the lesser thick one. Uh, <laughs> but it was funny. I, I handed her and both of these authors and men um, I knew and actually worked with so that's kind of amazing which so I handed her please kill me and Brendan Mullen's book we've got the neutron bomb about the LA punk scene and the mask yes Brendan um was his his partner was Katuri Butler who was the managing editor at the weekly during the era that I mentioned was you know my favorite during the sunset the Hollywood Reporter office days yeah. and I worked directly with her um prior to the nightlife column there was a, a section called slush where it was just like little graphs about nightlife kind of thing and I, I wrote a lot for that section with Kateri and when I was really into punk but I didn't know all my like my history and so she would re Brendan became sort of a mentor for me to check am I getting this right is this person you know and so and then when he gave me his book you know, it had come out at that time. It was just an honor. And then I realized just yesterday, as I handed my daughter both books, that br I never got Brandon to sign my book. And, you know, he's passed away many years ago. I so she picked the L.A. book, which is skinnier. Charlotte's a reader? Yeah. Because um, I, I would have given her documentaries. There's so many great documentaries now. Yeah, that's true. She has a class she's taking right now. It's an elective called The History of Rock and Roll. And they're showing them. Yeah, it's a class. Can you believe it? What? Yep. Yep, at Marshall. And uh, so it's a Zoom class. So she, she takes that after school. And she said it look, colleges will look at that because it's an extra class on top of her normal load. Have you seen the syllabus? Um, Do you no. agree with the syllabus? No, but you know what's funny? She said, Mom, <laughs> yesterday she said this, Mom, you could teach this class better. She said that. Well, of course. Let me ask you about a few clubs real quick and yeah. then I will let you yeah, go. Yeah, no, I'm happy. Like I, I'm actually good. So just. All right, good. Yeah. Spaceland. Yeah, Spaceland. Um, what, what do you it, want to know about that? Because I have some weird... I'm saving some of this stuff for my book, <laughs> Tony. I have some stuff for my Am book. Am I mind reading your book? Is that what it is? No, I can see the touched, future? We have touched upon quite a few things that are going well, to good. be in the book. Well, good. I mean, first and of fine. all... This is a, like sort of an advance on I you ask know? excellent questions. You so, do. So, of you course, do. these are going to be in your book. Yeah. Because... Because we're on, the, we're on that same wavelength. We are, and... We know what's important. We do. Yeah. And we know it's real. Yeah. And one reason I love Spaceland was it was real. Yeah. And I can't say the same for every venue in L.A., although yeah. I would say more are real than than not real. Yeah. You did you did bars and clubs. I did. For a long time, that was kind of all I did. So, yeah. so across the street from the Silver Lake Lounge, also real, Yeah. was <laughs> um, Stinkers. Yes. Not real. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But... I wrote about that when it opened, and I remember describing that. At that time, I did get snarky because it was like they had these little um, skunks that would shoot out mist. That, that was the only thing I liked so about weird. it. Isn't that the, th uh, is it Thirsty Crow now? No. Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it is it? It was. I don't know if it still is. I don't even know. I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, Again, I'm, I'm 100 years old. I'm not going to that part. Not only that, I mean, post-COVID, talking about nightlife, it's very... But here's the problem. You know, if I get lucky at that bar... Yeah. <laughs> She's 21 years old. Oh, what am I doing with a 21-year-old? That's challenging. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So why am I even there? 
Interesting. Yeah, that's challenging for, I think, for a male. No, it's challenging for me, too. I mean, I have a boyfriend that I've been with uh, now a few years, but I had a, a, a long period of being single in L.A. But, you know, I just kind of felt like, well, I definitely, when younger guys want to date me, I'm not interested in that. And I don't know, you as an older guy, if you were interested in younger women. You know why I was into it? For Nobody believes me. Okay. For the same reason that you love talking to your daughter. Oh. The younger people will tell you yeah. what you're missing out that your your real friends can't tell you. Fair enough, but you can't connect on the same level. I actually did. You did? I got lucky. Well, you might, again, you might have found an old soul, like my, not my daughter, but you know what I mean? Like somebody but, younger. But, but also, so you, I wanted to know about that world. Oh, you did? Okay. Just like today, I want to know about TikTok. I want to yeah. know about YouTube. I yeah. want to know about all these things. Not just because I don't want to feel old. Yeah. But because that's the thing. That's the thing, yeah. And I always have wanted, that's why I read the weekly. Yeah. I wanted to know what the thing was. Right, right, the thing. And, and <laughs> of course, we can still compare it to what we love, but I want to know what it is. So I mean, you're saying that you're open to dating 20-year-olds still? And 100-year-olds. If they can teach me something. <laughs> there you go. If they can teach me something. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so, but it's just, it's just, it's just not, it's just not the right look. I'm not Bill Wyman. Ah. Uh that's funny. And doesn't that suck that that's the thing that we think about when we yeah. think about Bill Wyman? Yeah, I mean, the man I know. played for 25 years with that band. I know. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, it really depends on the individual yeah. as far as that's concerned. Um, but I really like connecting with people like, oh, well, I'm connecting with you and yep. meeting new friends or in a dating scenario. Like, I think that for me, I'm most excited to be around people when we have similar references yes. because we really get it, you know? And, and you don't have to teach the rock and roll. You can go straight to the point. So when I saw that Velvet Underground thing, I was bored because I love them so much yeah. that I had seen a lot of that information. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I felt that Todd kind of let me down a little did bit. Did you? Now, here's one thing. I When I interviewed him, we did discuss, which that I said this, too, in our interview. I saw a lot of that footage, too, but I had never seen it used that way mm -hmm. where the uncomfortable silences and the elongated moments, he just put it there. And he did that intentionally, and I think it was effective, but I could see a lot of people actually being bored with it. I like I like the Jonathan Richmond parts, though. Yeah, he's great. Because, first of all, I didn't know he was there, and how cool that there was a picture of him there. Yeah. And that it's like they, a Where's Waldo thing, and yeah. They, and they embraced him and let him just hang with them. Yeah, that's, that's I cool. I didn't think that Lou Reed was that cool of a, of a guy. Yeah. The others, also, I, I liked uh, uh, K uh, Jonathan Kale's, uh, Jonathan Kale, right? The, John Kale. John Kale. Yeah. I liked his perspective of things. Oh, I loved his perspective. I'm a huge fan of his. He actually, my first music article for the Weekly was about the Creatures, and John Cale was in the Creatures with Susie and Budgie. So, and I've been a Velvet Underground fan forever. Yeah. I, I mean, I played you know both those first two records just like over and over. Yeah. Everyone says that uh, Lou Reed wasn't a real nice guy, but I mean, he was super talented, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and Warhol and I have the same birthday, so I always feel a connection with Warhol. Wow. My birthday is the same birthday as um, Andy Warhol and Lucille Ball. Lucille Ball delivered her kids right there. <gasps> what? At the Scientology building? Well, it was Cedars uh, of Lebanon. Oh, that's right. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> okay, so okay, you so, felt the same vibe that so, I did at Spaceland. Yeah, I loved Spaceland. Um, honestly, I did not like, I always, when I think about it, I think about like all the great shows I saw there. I got to DJ there a couple times. Mm -hmm. um, I also, the last time I went out as a pregnant woman was Spaceland. <laughs> and I remember I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to 
rock my belly. There's a photo. I'll send it to you. And I'm wearing a tight leopard print like this dress, but tight. And I was just walking around, showing off my belly at Spaceland. And I always remember that. Um, but what I did not like about Spaceland was the smoking room. Because I, uh, I used to smoke cigarettes when I was young. And then I got, I always had asthma as a kid. And then I got really bad asthma. And uh, so I, would start, I started avoiding going there because of the whole smoking thing. And friends would always want to go in there. Um, but yeah, uh, in a general sense, Spaceland kind of like represents Silver Lake and the music scene and, and how... Well, no, actually, Sunset Junction, that fair, probably more represents it. Mm -hmm. But um, Spaceland represented it in a way that, like, at the same time that we were just going there and, and seeing the bands in our neighborhood, they were getting some national attention, too. And so I guess in some ways that's conflicted, too, because it was like, you know, when it's your little secret, but then when it kind of goes out there, you're like, oh, no, it's going to get watered down and people are going to come that aren't really from the neighborhood and all that. You know, I'll admit I had a little bit of that elitism of being this like Silver Lake person. Mm -hmm. um, but you, of course you want your, the bands that you love to have success. So it's kind of yeah. like, you know, I, I see it both ways, but I have amazing memories there and yeah, no, no other club will be like, let's, let's, you know, let's, let's finish with uh, the Sunset Junction fair. Okay. Because um, uh oh, Kitty wants attention. She she's back from the dead, and she's like, "I love you, and I want to." She's like, thank "You guys are talking a lot, and yeah. I want to get in on this convo." She does. <laughs> I hear her meowing in the back. It's so cute. I lived in San Francisco um, for a few years, okay. and they have no problems with street fairs up there. In fact, their street fairs have gotten bigger and bigger. And the Folsom Street Fair yeah. now is like always wanted to go to Folsom, never been. I mean, it's it's like being at Akbar, but yeah, huge, yeah. Um, how come they can't bring back this sunset? I know. I mean, because it used to be free when you were younger. Yeah, and then uh, I remember right before it ended, it was like 20 bucks. Which is crazy. Yeah, crazy. And at that time, by the way, the last couple, um, I was back. Remember I said I moved back to Silver Lake on Maltman with my daughter. And so I was that stroller-toting mom at the at the junction um, in the last couple years. And actually, um, I got stuck on a Ferris wheel with my infant daughter on the top <laughs> i thought i was gonna die no seriously it was awful i to this day won't go on a ferris wheel because of that yeah I'm and i had to like and I, i'm a little bit afraid of heights and i remember like trying to call, just tell my daughter it's fine it's fine but i'm really scared my solution is this yes let's mm -hmm. let's create a new sunset junction shall we well because i don't want to just bitch <laughs> I yeah. want to have solutions yeah i agree I, i'm all about solutions and i feel like la is a wealthy enough city that it should be free. Agreed. No problem free. And if you want to have a little booth there, it should be cheap to have a little booth there. Yeah. You know. I worked many booths there for EK. We always had a booth there. And if you want uh, to have a, a a beer garden, I'm kind of against beer gardens. Are you? You like the walk through? Yeah. With what, are the we, what are we worried about? Beer in hand. I agree. What are we worried about? We're worried about kids getting their hands on beer. Which, by the way, my first sense of one of my first as a teen, I did. I got beer, and I wasn't. How old were you? Like, well, it was that year um, that I started at, my first time working at EK was Sunset Junction. So 16 so, or 17? Yep. I'm not worried about kids drinking beer. You're not worried about that? Okay. No, because, <laughs> first of all, they're probably high as it is. Yeah. I mean, come um, on. If, you're, if we were 16 again, we would be high at Sunset Junction. Yeah. It was never hard to get high. Yeah, that's true. And it really wasn't that hard to find beers, but yeah. it was way easier to get high. No, and you're right. I've even told my daughter, you know, I understand you're going to start going to parties and there'll be beer there. Yeah. I hope you don't drink it, but if you do, call me yeah. so that you're safe. See, I would go a step you guys further. Are practical. I would say keep it at, at one cup. 
Okay. Which which is hard <laughs> because after work we're like, let's just have one drink. It's never just one drink. Yeah, yeah. Well, I told you I'm always about a two drink gal because I'm a lightweight. Yeah. And I don't like to lose control. And then like we talked about the regret the next day, like, oh God, what did I say? You know that. So it's like two loose, three we're getting messy. So. So here's here's another reason I, <laughs> I want no beer garden. Hit up a sponsor to sponsor that cup. Oh yes. And if everybody's walking around with yeah. an LA Times cup, I know. See the Lord like. Yeah, it. we have oh, your neighbor. Hey, how's it going? Hello. Um. And because we live in an Instagram world, yeah, those pictures are everywhere. That's true. Of the advertising world. It's a on the world. cup. But see, there would be purists that would say, "Oh, that's taking away from you know, the energy and the I, organic I, quality." See, I guess I have a thicker skin than you. Yeah, I could not care one bit about the critics. Yeah, because because yeah. because right now we have nothing. Yeah, you're right. You're right. We don't even have a fear. You shouldn't let that stop you, and clearly I haven't. But I do care. That's kind of, I think, my flaw. <laughs> I, I care too much about what I care too much about what people that uh, you know, whose work I respect, think. Uh-huh. Um, I people I respect. I mean, like I said, it's like, yeah. I guess I get. I just. But care did a Jonathan too much. Gold care that he was reviewing taco trucks? I think he cared. No, no, about the critics. Oh, about the critics. Oh, you should be at a Michelin star. Oh, right, restaurant. right, 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 right. He's like, oh, that's a good point. I'm um, going to be in my ugly pickup truck and yeah. I'm going down to El Sorrento yeah. or whatever, you know, like I'm, I'm going to be me. I'm going to do me. Yeah. No. And I, I've never let that stop me, but I would be lying if I said that I didn't at least consider what's being said. You know what I mean? But then at the end of the day, you got to follow your heart and do what you, what your passion is and what you think is cool. I'll um, listen to them just like I'm listening to you about the weekly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'm learning. Yeah. But, Am uh, I changing your mind? You did change my mind. <laughs> okay. You did change my mind because you were there. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. Like, I'm not really trying to change anyone's mind. I'm just trying to share my perspective. So, so I, like, I'm happy I got to do that with you. Like I had today. an idea about East LA yeah. until I talked to people from there. Yeah. You know? And, what was your idea? Well, as a black person coming here in the 80s, I was told not to go there. Oh, really? That black and browns fought each other in the uh, 80s. Huh, okay. And that that's their spot. Right. We've got ours in South Central, mm-hmm. which is now your spot too. Yeah. <laughs> so don't go there. And so I didn't go there for uh, 15, 20 years. Interesting. And then one day I was just driving down Sunset and I was like, I had no idea how close it is. It's so close. Mm-hmm. Where'd you go? Like Boyle Heights or where'd you, well, what for, part of... Well, uh... for Los Angelino, I did an article called... Where does the East Side start? Oh, I like that. Because there was always this debate. Oh, my God. And that's a whole other topic. You should just have me on another time. Because I have, I, I well, have thoughts. What I learned was whoever it was that I was talking to, they thought it was more East. Yeah. So if I was in Boyle Heights, they yes. would say it's more East. Yes. Did you say that? You must have. Yeah, it was great. Because that is, that's it. That if is I, it. If, if I asked people here, they would say, oh, it's downtown. But but if I was in uh, uh, Echo Park, they would be like, oh, it's Brooklyn Avenue or whatever. And everybody thought it was more east. And even when I was in actual East L.A., they're like, nope, keep going. Uh-huh. And I was like, this is fucking awesome. This is why L.A. is great. And that's why I just like don't buy when people try to say, oh, that's not the east side. Well, if you're on the west side, it's the east side. Like it's relative. <laughs> and I'm somebody who grew up in that part of town. So it's just, again, that's another one where it's like, and it's usually the, the loudest are the people that didn't even grow up there. And that's irritating. Okay, so let's give you some plugs. Okay, give me some plugs. Your radio show. Yes. It's still ongoing. It is. Lately, um, during COVID, okay, I used to do it live in the studio, which is, uh, the studio is in Glendale. 
but then during COVID, I didn't really want to, you know, do that. So um, I first I would just uh, play a lot of I've I had the show for three years, so I play I have a lot of a good backlog of shows and so I play them um, but then I started doing uh, at home recordings of the shows it's called Hot Licks with Lena it's on Luxuria Music um, really great company to be in Howie Pyro has his show on is there is this a podcast? no this is internet radio um, you go to uh, um, www.luxuriamusic.com different programming every night my show airs Tuesday nights from 7 to 9 uh, lately they've been archival but there's some good shows there and uh, it's, there's also a podcast section where you can hear the older shows. Good. Yes. And uh, I record some from my boyfriend is an engineer. So I have recorded a few new ones. I'm trying to do a new one a month at this point. No guests, though. I'm just like playing music that I love and the music that in, is inspired by what I'm writing at the time. Thank you for being <laughs> our guest today. Thank you, Tony. This has been fantastic. This has really been fun. I have so enjoyed it. I think that. I will hug you before we. Oh, leave. good. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> All right, we will see you in the weekly. How great was Lena? You know who else we want to rock out with? Our Patreons, who are the epitome of punk in the best ways. When you stoke us, you're saying, Tony, Jordan, here's a ride on the crystal ship. Here's two tickets to paradise. Here's a few bucks to fill your stockings above your chimney. Every donation you hand over helps us keep this insane project a-rollin'. So shout out to our Patreons, Nancy Rommelman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Grinky, Ben Welsh, Henry Furman, Jen Adams, The Lonely Chair, and Trevor Wilson. Want to hear your name at the end of next week's show? Go to patreon.com slash here in LA and give till it hurts! Also, shout out to our Angelinos. To be an Angelino, all you had to do is PayPal us 25 bucks or more, and we will list you on the Here in LA website forever. You will also be given a number to denote how early you got in. For example, Angelino number one is Allie Miller. Number two, George Wright. 